Welcome to Evangel Online, a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus. And in today's video, uh, you hear the term, you sheep, being thrown around all over the place these days. Uh, Jesus actually had a lot to say about being sheep. So let's dig in. back. Um, my name is Lucas. I'm one of the pastors here at Evangel Church, which is a church in Powell River, British Columbia, Canada. And so if you're visiting from outside the region, we're so glad that you're here. But if you're uh, tuning in with us in the region of Powell River, uh, we would invite you to come hang out with us uh, Sundays, 10 o'clock uh, on the corner of Joyce and Manson, Evangel Church. And so we just uh, invite you to come. I'd love to meet you. But in the meantime, if this is adding value to your faith journey, if this is, adds value to um, your exploration of faith or your growing in faith, would you consider just liking the video and subscribing? That just helps us out. And uh, we just thank you so much for doing that. Well, as we jump in today, the irony that we've kind of come full circle, we, we, the irony of this kind of cultural moment is not lost on me as we dig into uh, some of Jesus' teaching uh, in John chapter 10. Now we're jumping into John chapter 10. We're in a series called the Gospel of John. We've been in it for a while and we'll be in it for a while yet. But we are just going um, kind of segment by segment through the Gospel of John and just learning about the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, and the teachings of Jesus. Now my favorite moment um, is, uh, is when we hear kind of this thing happening in our cultural moment today. I, I don't know if you've heard it, uh, someone calling someone else a sheep or, or the, the popular term now is sheeple, right? Like this idea of, oh, you're just a follower. You'll just do whatever people tell you to do. And it's kind of a, it's kind of a funny thing. The, the irony of ironies is when I hear Christians calling other Christians sheep and, and, and the irony will not be lost on you either as we dig in to today a little bit. Um, you, you know, we hear this in such a derogatory way. But Jesus himself, he actually calls us, as humanity, he calls us sheep without a shepherd. And he doesn't say it in a derogatory way. He's actually using sheep as a metaphor to reveal himself to the world around him. Uh, Matthew describes Jesus' perspective as he looks out over the crowds. Matthew 9, 36, he says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And today we're gonna to be kind of wrestling with this tension and, and hopefully we become okay with this idea that we are sheep and he is our shepherd. And I hope that in this cultural moment, we can wrestle that tension to the ground and we can submit ourselves as Christ uh, leads us and invites us into following him into a better way. Now the bad news is, though there are, he's a shepherd, there's also, there's also thieves and robbers and counterfeits and wolves. And so as we kind of explore this, there's so much going on. So let's jump right into it. John chapter 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens the sheep, hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name 
and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Now, as we progress through this passage, uh, we have to understand that the audience of the time would have kind of understood the word picture that Jesus is explaining here. You know, the first six verses of chapter 10 are referencing uh, the sheep that were kept in courtyards. Every house, every home had a courtyard and that courtyard would have someone of the house who would keep the gate. And of course the gate was locked and there'd be walls around the courtyard. And so the only way legitimately into that courtyard would be through the gate. And so uh, members, usually it was a member of extended family, someone younger within the family would be kind of appointed the shepherd. And so they would not have all the sheep together in one flock, but as the sheep were in the city or in the town with them, they'd be in the courtyard, all separated among all the families. Now, what would happen is whoever was the designated shepherd, they would go from courtyard to courtyard to courtyard, and they would be, they would knock on the door. And of course, the gatekeepers would know them because they're family. And there, the gatekeeper would open and they would call the sheep and the sheep would know their voice and the sheep would come out and join the greater kind of herd. And so then they would take this, they go courtyard to courtyard doing the same thing and then take all the sheep out to the pasture. And so this is kind of the picture of what Jesus is expressing here. He's also painting this contrasting picture of the one who is the thief and the robber, right? They, they don't have access to the gate. So they go, they come in and they sneak over the wall into the courtyard and they speak to the sheep, but the sheep don't know their voice and, and they run instead of follow. And th this is going to become significant as Jesus expounds kind of on this metaphor, revealing himself to these people. But, but up to this point, the people listening to Jesus, they have no idea what he's talking about. Like they understand the sheep and the dynamic of the shepherd. They understand that, but they don't understand why Jesus is saying what he's saying or how this teaching applies. And this is interesting because it's not a new metaphor. This is actually this idea of sheep and a shepherd uh, for the Jewish people in particular goes back <laughs> thousands of years. This is not new to them. Uh, Numbers 27, 16 to 17 says, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them who shall lead them out and bring them in that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. Do you see this metaphor playing? Uh, Isaiah 40, 11, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Uh, Psalm 100 verse 3, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. We, we see this imagery scattered throughout the Old Testament. And of course, anytime you're reading the Old Testament, uh, part of the fun in reading the Old Testament is discovering and seeing the foreshadowing of Jesus within the Old Testament. And we see this playing out so beautifully in this imagery right now. So, so now Jesus is about to expound on this revelation of him as the good shepherd. Verse seven, so Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. 
All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, in the mind of the audience of Jesus' day, uh, we are now out in the pasture. We are out now in the open fields because this metaphor has kind of uh, taken a bit of a progression away from the town and the courtyards and out into the open field. And during the night, um, they would put the sheep, there was nowhere kind of to go in terms of courtyards or locking gates. And so there would be these kind of walled corrals and they would put the sheep in these corrals. Now, there would be no gate on these corrals. And so the shepherd would lead them into the corral and the shepherd himself would, would literally lie down at the gate of the corral. He would literally become the door, keeping the sheep in and allowing the sheep out of that corral into the pastures around them. So you literally had to go through the shepherd to get in and get out. And this is a picture in the minds of, of Jesus' audience as he's making this teaching. And he declares himself the door of the sheep. Now, now up until this moment, there have been plenty of false messiahs uh, who had come along stirring up insurrections and pursuing this idea of, of freeing Israel from the occupation. And none of them lasted, though. They had their moment. They had their, their kind of 15 minutes. But none of those movements, none of those leaders had lasting influence. The sheep did not follow them in the long term or in, in, a, in a majority kind of way. So, so Jesus here, he's declaring himself as the Messiah once again. I am the way in and I am the way out. Verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus here, he, he, he also continues this theme of contrasting and comparing the alternatives. The alternatives to him as the door. He says, my way leads to life. The thief's motivation is to steal, kill, and destroy. And I think sometimes when we read this, we think automatically just as, as Satan as the thief, as the kind of capital T thief. And rightly so. However, we do need to be careful that we don't just see it exclusively through that lens. Uh, why does Jesus' way bring life? Well, because he is truly altruistic. So when he, when he talks about serving the sheep as the good shepherd, he, he is literally talking in a very altruistic way to the point where he saw us in our need and he laid down his life for us. Compare that with the thief. The thief, the false messiahs, so to speak, serve themselves, creating movements that use people as a means to an end. This idea of the few stirring up the many for the purposes of their agenda. These false messiahs, they seek to use the sheep to their ends and subject them to the very ways of life that steal their joy, their purpose, fulfillment, and ultimately their lives. I think we need to be reminded who the door truly is. We have let so many things and movements and people become the door for us. We've allowed these kind of false messiahs to stand in the door as our kind of hope, so to speak. You know, it grieves me when I see the church walking in division 
because uh, we've allowed uh, false messiahs to stand in the door of our lives. When, when I see people putting their faith in a political leader and, and allowing that position to divide them, when we put our hope exclusively in a movement or a platform and an ideology, or even when we put our hope in a spiritual leader, that happens too, where we put our hope in a spiritual leader, just a man, just a woman. These, these people, these movements, these ideas, these philosophies were never meant to be the door that brings safety and security and life and hope and peace. When we put our hope exclusively in these kind of movements, we're going to be let down. You know what these things all have in common? Movements, politicians, and yes, even spiritual leaders, they will use you to achieve their own ends. And they may in their mind even think that they are pursuing the right thing, the perfect thing, the holy thing, the righteous thing. But we are broken people. And anytime we put anything else in the doorway of the corral as sheep, <laughs> uh, we're going to go awry. We're going to go sideways. Notice earlier, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. John 10, uh, verse 3, uh, 3b, the second part of verse 3. And in Christ, there is an invitation to follow. And his sheep know his voice and they follow him. The way of Jesus is invitational. Can, can you just picture the good shepherd calls the sheep by name and then walks out in front of the sheep and the sheep then follow the good shepherd. I want you just to see the contrasting of what's happening here. The way of the thief and the robber is to drive the sheep from behind, to push and drive from behind like cattle. Sure, a thief can get those sheep out to pasture too. They just have to use a different method in a different way. Remember, uh, as they speak, they drive the sheep away, right? Because their voice is not known to them. So can they get them out to pasture? Yes, absolutely they can. But they do it in such a different methodology. There's a driving and there's a fear and there's uncertainty. And, and all the things that Jesus invites us into as we follow him, the thief robs us of as we are driven to a certain place or a certain outcome. There is no life found in them. And that's why looking to anything and anyone other than Christ for our safety, our security, and fulfillment is a fool's errand. As we go on, he flushes this out. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Uh, the word in the Greek here for good is kalos. Uh, William Barclay, he writes this of the word. Now in Greek, there are two words for good. There is agathos, which simply describes the moral quality of a thing. And there's kalos, which means that in the goodness, there is a certain charm, which makes it lovely. When Jesus is described as the good shepherd, the word is kalos. In him, there is more than efficiency and more than fidelity. There is loveliness. Sometimes in a village or town, people speak about the good doctor. They're not thinking only of the doctor's efficiency and skill as a physician. They're thinking of the sympathy and the kindness and the graciousness which that doctor has brought and in which turn has brought friendship to all. In the picture of Jesus as a good shepherd, there is loveliness as well as strength. 
and power. I love this picture that this word kind of conveys to us. Jesus is a good shepherd in the sense that he's not just perfect in character and competency, but he interacts with us in a way that causes you to actually like him. <laughs> in, in fact, you end up falling in love with him. There's care and empathy and love there. Um, let, let me ask you, did you have a favorite teacher growing up? I think, I think we all kind of have had that moment where we've had teachers, right? Like there, there's a difference between teachers that teach a subject and teachers who teach students. And we've all had teachers that have teached a subject. And that's, that doesn't kind of go anywhere in terms of our, our shaping and our molding. But we've all had that teacher that teach students, that taught students. Um, one of my favorite teachers was a middle school teacher. His name was Mr. S. Uh, his last name was complicated, so we just called him Mr. S. And, and he, he was kind of a funny character because he was kind of a volatile guy. Uh, he had high standards. He was volatile. He, he told kids off at times. But, but you could see that he was doing it because he loved students. It drove him nuts that students wouldn't kind of rise up to their potential. You kind of see this in the way that he cared for his students, even when he was kind of telling them off or, or causing them to kind of uh, button up a little bit and, and, and get going. And he wasn't perfect by any stretch, but, but he was there to teach students and not just teach subjects. Now, I'm sure we all have similar experiences. A teacher who became our favorite, not just because they were competent and knew the subject matter and was able to recite and tell us all the history or all the dates or all the things. No, the teachers that stand out in our minds are those that obviously cared about their students and their students realizing their potential. You know, Jesus is perfect. He is competent. He's unblemished in his character. And on top of that, he cares so deeply for you in a way that, that you begin to love him as your Savior and Lord. Verse 12 goes on, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. From, from time to time, um, families would not have somebody uh, who is part of the family that could tend to the sheep and so they would have to hire out. They would have to bring someone from the outside of the family to do the job of shepherding their collective uh, flock together. And if you remember David, you know, David tended his sheep. And what did, what did he say to Saul when, when they were attacked? He, he fought off a bear. He fought off a lion. And so he, he put his life in danger as a shepherd of his father's flock to save the sheep. You know, there's stories of shepherds fending off robbers, some successfully and others at the expense of their own lives. And there's a difference between an ownership mentality and the mentality of the one who is hired. Uh, I know even today, you'll notice this. Is there something that if you're an owner, if you're a business owner, you care much more 
than the entry level person hired into your, unless it's a rare case, you might have that rare person that really takes ownership. Um, keep them, give them a raise, uh, give them promotions, do everything you can to keep people like that. But there's a difference between a hired hand and an owner. And there's kind of a warning built into this moment as well. As we think about these small M messiahs, these ones that are hired, uh, they, they don't have ownership, but they, they are the small M messiahs that we've put our hope in. Uh, when the wolf comes, they will sacrifice you. They will sacrifice you to escape. Now compare that with Jesus. When the wolf came, Jesus sacrificed himself. <laughs> Jesus sacrificed himself. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 16, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. I love this kind of moment of declaration. Jesus always had a vision and a sight of those who uh, are, are yet to enter the kingdom. Yet to be a part of the flock. And this tells me two things. There's, there's always those who are yet to enter the kingdom. Now he continues to seek them out even today. Though, though our, through, our, our, through our lives and our ministry. But, but notice the second declaration here. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. There, there was a weird moment in the ministry of Paul when, when a church started kind of getting divided over uh, which leader they considered to be their leader, to be their apostle. Uh, the one who um, brought faith to them. And so there was division in the church based on people, based on Paul, Apollos, and, um, and uh, Cephas. And so there's this kind of weird dynamic going on that was bringing disunity to the church. And in 1 Corinthians 1, 12 to 15, Paul writes, What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. You know, it's funny, the, the unity of the church is found in the fact that Jesus is the shepherd, and, and we are one flock under him. The moment we identify kind of with our movement or a leader, denomination, or fellowship in greater measure, then being part of the capital C church, uh, we're getting off track. The amount of division and hurt that's been endured through the history of the church because of these differences is astronomical. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the one true shepherd of the, of the one true church. There is only one. I want to close with this observation. John 10, 17 to 18, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my father. 
You know, Jesus did not enter into a moment and a season that was outside of his realms of control when, when this path began that led him to the cross. He was in complete and utter control the entire time. He willingly submitted himself to that journey despite his authority. And he rose again, making a way for all of us by his authority. And this is the hope we have. This is what it is to be sheep with a good shepherd. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that even in this cultural moment, Lord, the scriptures are so relevant to us. Lord, we are indeed sheep. We are indeed helpless and looking for leadership. We are looking for uh, something or someone to give us a sense of purpose, to give us a sense of direction. Your word says that without vision, the people perish. Lord, we are looking for that. We are desperate for that. So we are sheep. <laughs> Even the most independent of us, Lord, we are sheep. And Lord, you've seen us in our distress and you came as the good shepherd to show us the way, to serve as the door, the one who brings security and safety and protection and guidance and release and, and all of those things, Lord. We thank you that you are our good shepherd. I pray for everyone that's exploring faith, that Lord, they would say yes to you in this moment, that Lord, they would just see you and they would there'd be a revelation of Jesus to them by the spirit, that they would say yes to Jesus, receive your love, Lord, begin this journey of looking more and more like you each day, shifting their, their worldviews um, to come in line with a biblical worldview that shows us a better way. Lord, I pray for those that are sheep, those that are a part of the flock. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you'd remind us in these days when we're looking to so many other things to fill the gap. Lord, would you remind us that those are thieves and robbers, that when the wolf comes, they will sacrifice our lives to save theirs. But Lord, you as a good shepherd, sacrifice your life to save ours. And so we look to you afresh and anew. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, we just are gonna be doing something, what we call communion. So those of you that are in Christ, in Jesus, uh, we invite you to participate in communion with us. Pastor Lisa will lead us in that. But if you have uh, anything in your house in terms of elements, uh, so we're talking uh, something to drink, something to kind of break is bread or a cracker or something. Uh, why don't you join us in this time of communion? God bless everyone. Well, thank you so much, Lucas, for that very perfect message as we remember that Jesus is the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep and enter this moment of communion. Well, this week I have been going through a uh, devotional centered around one of the songs we've started to sing here at church called Yes, I Will. And he's talking about how we all have a choice to make in the moments of anxiety and the moments of stress as to where we're gonna set our gaze. And a few of the passages that they um, brought out as they were talking through their, their story of writing this song were all of these moments of remembrance in the Old Testament. Specifically, when the nation of Israel crossed the Jordan River and God said, bring out 12 stones and create this, this monument, this moment and place of remembrance that for the rest of your lives, when you are faced with daunting tasks, you would be able to go back to a physical location and remember what the Lord has done. 
Well, most of us don't have physical locations, but you know what? We have a moment of remembrance once a month, right here at the communion table. No matter what is facing us ahead, all we need to do to remember the faithfulness and love of God is to look back to the cross, is to come to this moment with reverence and awe that the God of the universe loved us enough to lay down his life for us. And that should fill us with such hope and assurance that we can look with confidence at no matter what is coming up because we know what God has done in the past. So let's uh, prepare our hearts together as we read this passage. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself on the night when he was betrayed. The Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you announce the Lord's death till he comes again. Let's partake together. So God, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for this message today that reminds us of your faithfulness and your deep love for us. And God, that um, faithfulness and that love gives us an assurance that you are with us no matter what we face. And so when we are tempted to cast our eyes ahead and allow fear and anxiety and worry to spur up, would you instead draw our gaze back? Back to the moments where you came through, where you provided, where you were mighty, where you were enough. But more importantly, would you draw our gaze back to the cross? That one place that reminds us that you will never leave or forsake us. That your love compels you to have a relationship with us. We thank you so much that you made a way because we could not. And so we worship you for all that you have done and all that you are. We love you in your precious name. Amen. We have a few announcements for you before we go. And the first is that next Sunday, October 17th, we have Evangel Academy starting right here at the church. That is going to take a kind of adult education, um, Christian education perspective. And we're gonna start with a two week study on hermeneutics, which is just how do we actually study our Bibles? What are the things that we should be looking for and factoring in when we're reading scripture? It's gonna be fabulous. It's gonna be six o'clock here at the church next week, October 17th. You don't wanna miss out. Next, we believe here at Evangel that we are blessed to be a blessing to Powell River. And last year, we were so excited that we were able to host a safe Halloween experience for the kids of our community. Well, we are still in COVID and it was such a success that we are gonna be doing it once again. We are gonna be doing Trunk or Treat 2021 and we need your help. Thank you so much for everyone who's been bringing candy in. We still don't have enough. So if you're in the grocery store, add a box or 10 uh, to your cart and drop them off at the office. We would be so grateful for your candy. But if you would like to host a car spot, it's so easy. All you need to do is decorate your trunk 
The candy bags will be prepared ahead of time and you just hand them out to kids as they come uh, trick-or-treating. It's so easy and so fun. Just sign up at myevangel.church forward slash trunk or treat. myevangel.church forward slash trunk or treat. Well, thank you so much for your faithfulness in this season here at Evangel Church. We couldn't do what we do without you. And so once again, we are asking for your partnership in giving. There are so many ways that you can do that. You can find all of them at myevangel.church forward slash give, myevangel.church forward slash give. But without the faithfulness of God's people, the church would cease to exist. So thank you as you answer the call and say yes to partnering with Evangel Church in this continued COVID season. Well, God bless and I hope to see you real soon.